0: Countdown for blastoff. X minus 5, minus 4, minus 3, minus 2, X minus 1. Fire.
1: Welcome to Save vs. Stupid. I'm Isaac Scher.
0: And I'm Kurt Thompson. And I'm Jerome Como. Tonight
1: we're talking about collective patronage. This means Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and at least half a dozen other companies where various projects, usually creative works, can get the funding they need by getting a lot of little donations from average people, rather than having to go beg a bank or a venture capitalist for help with some hefty strings attached. So here at Save vs. Stupid, we feel pretty strongly that this funding model is an amazingly important development and we're devoting an entire episode to talk about it, which we've broken down into two segments. Part one, these are a few of my favorite things. We'll start by talking about some of our personal experiences with Collective Patronage, how we've seen it used, what distinguishes the successful projects from the Forgotten Detritus, and some special projects that have come out of this that we're really excited about. Part two, don't call it crowdsourcing. Now Kurt's going to be taking the lead on this one, talking about why we feel that quote, collective patronage, unquote, is a better label for this concept, as opposed to, well, crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, you know, some of the ones that usually get bandied around in stories about this, and why this new approach, collective patronage, could be more important for the future of business and the arts than most people realize. So, without any further ado, on with the show. Part one. These are a few of my favorite things. Jerome?
2: So, uh, one of the interesting things about Kickstarter is that, is how incredibly addictive the model is. Absolutely. Um, there's a, there's an enormous amount of, of really cool stuff out there. In fact, there's arguably more cool stuff out there than there ever has been in the, in, in the history of cool stuff. (laughs) Uh, And the interesting thing about Indiegogo and Kickstarter and other sort of, uh, collective patronage models, to borrow Mm -hmm. Kurt's phrase. Uh, is is that um even when you apply sturgeon's rule 90% or sturgeon's of everything law, is crap yes yep. um, even when you apply sturgeon's law the truth of the matter is that the the Im- most impressive part of that is that for because there's a hundred thousand or a million or however many Kickstarter pro- projects out there one there's always one you're gonna find two mm-hmm. as long as you get everybody that you know who likes the kind of stuff that you do together? If you get enough of, of those people together, you get the thing that you like. And three, if you don't get enough people together, that thing goes away, and you move on to something else. Right. right, and no harm, no foul. Right. It's it's not like it's not like I've 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 now spent the you know the thirty bucks on a on a on a game, and it turns out that I don't like it. Um. Uh. The the I think the the place where we're going to see sort of that. The, the sort of revolutionary stuff is not so much in the video game industry, although I do think that Kickstarter and Indiegogo are revolutionary for the video game industry. But that's not well. where I think they're most revolutionary. The most revolutionary locale, as far as I'm concerned, is in uh, RPG publishing oh, yeah. and in small press publishing. Yep. Specifically genre publishing, it. right? There are, are There are authors out there right now who are selling their books on Kickstarter because what they're saying is, if you give me the money, I'll give you the book. If you don't give me the money, I'm going to go do something else that will make me money.
0: Absolutely. And that model is also being applied to comic books as well.
1: Yes. And one of the things that I love about this is, and Kurt, you and I had a conversation about this last week, that what Kickstarter and these things are really doing is celebrating the niche audience, where no longer do you have to hope that, well, okay, let's, let's take an example here. Firefly on major national television Mm -hmm. firefly only managed to get on the air because joss whedon was able to sell it however briefly to fox studio executives who said "Ah, all right it sounds weird it's unconventional but okay whatever and then without even a whole season going by they said nah too weird kill it
2: right
0: right now well i think maybe a little breakdown of how the studio system and how publishing and such works in general is it might be a good idea Ah, uh, to sort of highlight the difference. Um, in very, very broad terms, when you're when you're dealing with a mass media culture, it doesn't matter if a product is good or not. You just have to sell it to a lot of people
1: mm-hmm. or the right people at the studio.
2: yeah, i would I would argue, uh, I would actually argue this point with you, Kurt, right? the The entire process of the studio, the the entire concept behind the studio process is that there's there's one guy. Now, there's actually like eight or ten guys, but there's, for, for, as a creator, there's one guy. I have to walk into his office and convince him to give me a hundred million dollars over the next five years. Right. To make a TV show. And if that guy gives me the money, terrific! I get the first chunk of it to make my pilot and hopefully the first nine episodes. But the thing is, that one guy that I'd sold it to may not be at his desk next week. Right. Right, so and that's the that's the entire point of the studio audience is that you're pitching your show not for an audience. You're pitching your stu- your show for one guy who has the ability to write the check. And that's what killed yep. John Carter. Yeah, it's what. Yeah, John and Carter. so for me, the, the interesting thing about Kickstarter is that it's completely revolutionizing the whole the whole way that things get funded. Right, the creator is saying, "Here's what I want to create. Is my audience out there, and will they give me money for it?" And now you're not pitching to one person. You're pitching to your audience. And if your audience is large enough, the thing that you want to do gets done. They're doing, they're doing TV shows this way. They're doing novels this way. They're doing video games. They're doing, uh, RPGs. They're doing, uh, 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 regular board games. They're doing reprints of games. They're doing reprints of novels. I mean, every, any kind of thing. They're doing art documentaries. They're doing science fiction TV shows. Anything you can think of that needs money to get done gets done via kickstarter and the 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 other thing that i think is really interesting is that it's exposing the actual cost of making something yes right because 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 it's yeah. not it's not like it's not like right it, uh, the, the interesting thing about these kickstarters is it's, just, it's not like give me 30 bucks and we'll pretend that that you've never talked to us you'll never talk to us again right it's It's for my 30 bucks. I not only get whatever it is that you get, you, I get at that level. I also get to monitor your progress. I get to know where the money is going. I get to know how much money you're getting. I get to know what, how you're going to spend it. And I get to know, you know, the process by which that gets done. So when an author says, I want, you know, $150,000 for my next book, they're not saying that because. Or, or, or the 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 one for the one that gets me is the Amanda Palmer album, right? Amanda Palmer breaks down exactly in her Kickstarter where all of the money goes and how if you give her a million dollars she might break even, and that's just that's a right. it, it's yep. one it's cool to know that background and two it's astounding to realize just how expensive it is to do music these days. Yeah. Yep.
1: Now, I have a question, actually, for both of you, because you guys know a bit more about Kickstarter than I do. I've read up on it. I've done a little looking into it, but not as much as you guys. So here's my question. Is it possible to create an audience through Kickstarter, or is Kickstarter better for reinforcing and and building further an already existing audience?
0: Well, I think that it can bring in a new audience um one of my favorite projects is a um, is going to be a series called Space Command, which is a sci-fi I've heard enterprise. about that. A sci-fi series in the tradition of the 50s serials um, and there was no audience for it there has never been a space Command novel there has never been a space Command comic book. this guy put the idea mm-hmm. out there he had a great uh, teaser trailer for it and people came. his goal was I think, Seventy-five thousand. I think he he eventually made a hundred and seventy-seven thousand.
2: Yeah, I think I think Kickstarter is actually a really good place to find your audience. Uh, That being said, if you have an established audience for something, it makes it 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 makes it possible for you to kind of uh, get a jump on that, right? I mean, there's the 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 cheese and crack, which is a, a a food cart that I funded through Kickstarter here in Portland, right? I had no idea that existed until I found it on Kickstarter. And consequently, they're catering uh, a party for me at this point because I backed at that level, uh, and he was successfully getting not only all of the funding he asked for, but even even more than he asked for. So, yeah, uh, um, you know, uh, awesome. it, uh, Dungeon World is an RPG that I funded. Tabletop Forge just made their stretch goal. Yeah, I think I, I think that.
0: all of us were in uh, Tabletop Forge, and that's
2: a, the really interesting thing about Tabletop uh-huh. Forge is that that's an application that's completely free to use. The only thing you get for giving right. them money is you get to play with some of their toys.
1: The extra stuff.
2: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, And I think that 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 model, that pay-it-forward model, is really interesting to me.
1: Mm-hmm. The reason I t- asked about building established audiences, or, or building further an established audience, I should say, is because two of the most successful Kickstarters that I've heard about are Tim Schafer's uh, video game project, I, the Double Fine, I think the name is. The yep. name escapes me for the moment. Uh, which got a huge amount of money, and because basically on Tim Schafer's name, for better or worse. And then the other one was the Order of the Stick, the webcomic, which started out as, hey, I just need a couple thousand to reprint some of my uh, trade paperbacks, and suddenly he got a million dollars, because his fans just suddenly came out of the woodwork like locusts, in a good way. And... I was just impressed, like, okay, you can take a small audience and then Kickstarter can explode it and suddenly give you a million dollars that you didn't have before. And that blew me away.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Well, also an example of that is is Mark Miller's um, Traveler 5. Their their goal was $75,000, which I, a lot of us thought was entirely too audacious to begin with. Uh, and as the, as of the last time I've looked, they have almost $300,000 in the kitty.
1: Three
2: hundred.
0: Wow!
1: Yeah. And this is for Traveler, the, the science fiction role playing game.
2: And it's about, that's right? a reprint of Traveler. It's not a new edition. It's just a reprint, right? right.
0: And uh, right, it's a it's a reprint of stuff that's been available on CD for the past five six years.
2: Yeah. And so that I think that's the model, right? And I guess the takeaway from
1: that is even if it's an extremely niche project, because Traveler was never a big mainstream hit, but it had its fans, and its fans loved it so much that they really rallied around it, and that's where the whole strength of Kickstarter really comes in. Yep. Okay. So, (laughs) now, we've talked about some of our favorite examples of collective patronage. Now, why don't we talk a little bit more about why the whole idea is such a huge deal. Let's really dig into the ramifications of this. Because I think, and we again, we've talked about this privately, but let's talk about it here now. This idea, this collective patronage, is going to be a lot bigger than most people realize part two don't call it crowdsourcing kurt over to you
0: well i think that the first thing we have to look at is why this is a revolutionary idea absolutely and the truth of it is is that um art in our lifetimes has always been funded by the very wealthy or by appealing to the masses indirectly Mm -hmm. via the studio systems or the publishing system where you, again, have a single gatekeeper who tells the world what is good. Right. Um, before that model, um, in the 19th century and before, art was almost exclusively produced on a patronage basis, which is to say that somebody very rich said, I will back you because I like your music. I will back you because I like your art. I will back you because I like your books. And there was a breakthrough in mass publishing even though they were considered trash uh, in in the Regency through Victorian era, basically. Um, that's when really the idea of publishing something for the masses got started. But before mm-hmm. that, it was exclusively the province of the very wealthy. And it still was the province of the very wealthy, except the very wealthy were incorporated in our lifetimes. What we're seeing now with um, stuff like I hate this word, and I'll get to that in a minute, crowdsourcing or crowdfunding is that we're all patrons. We, we can all take this privilege that has been reserved for the very wealthy, the very elite, and stick our two cents in there, literally.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, model, the model up until this point has has been one of two models. It was either there's a rich guy, or a rich, well, okay, almost always a rich guy, who said, here is the music I want you to make, and here is the money for you to make it. And then, for a very brief period of time, Historically speaking, from about 1935 or so until about 1990, there was this, this sort of record industry s- system where a couple of very rich corporations would say, here is the music we want you to make, and here is the money for you to make it. And then, right. with the explosion of the internet, we got a bunch of people who basically were doing music on their own. right? And, and it's always been the purview of the artist, as it were, to sort of be itinerant right the the idea that you could get rich being a musician is a brand new idea one that's only been true for about 30 years yeah right the the idea that you could get that you could make a living as a musician and only as a musician doing only Much your own thing right it, it, that that's that's something that that kind of came and went in the 70s and 80s and hasn't been true since um, uh, it wasn't true before that, unless you had a rich patron, and it wasn't true after that, unless you had a. We re- were able to build an audience, and the 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 interesting thing that you're 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 saying about this, Kurt, is that it's 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 flipped the model, right?
0: right. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It has um, put things back in the hands of the of the people, and uh, semi-socialist that I am, I love this. You know, it, to me, that's that's the most exciting thing in the world is because I want to get together with a like-minded group of people and I want to fund the artists that I want to see and read and hear their work. And
1: Tell me more about your five-year plan, comrade.
0: <laughs> and that, that's Sorry. not something that we've been afforded in our lifetimes, ever. And it's something that almost no one in the vast majority of history has ever had access to. That's pretty exciting. And it also liberates the artists to focus in on exactly what they're interested in. Because if enough people are also interested in that, then they can spend their entire career exploring that one little niche.
2: And it's 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 also, it, this. that's not to say that this, and the, the really interesting thing, because you call it collective patronage, it, it points up something, which is this is explicitly patronage, right? The more money right. you give to a project, yeah the better your rewards are. And when you're talking about say musicians, yes. right? If it, one of the things that you could buy, if you were willing to kick in 10 grand, is you could buy a private concert, right? From right. from Amanda fucking Palmer. And and if you were willing to kick in the 10k, she was willing to come and play in your living room, you know, or wherever. Yeah. Uh and and that's explicit patronage, right? But it's also She's not willing to be beholden to one guy with a whole bunch of money. She's willing to be beholden to half a million people with 50 bucks a person.
0: Right.
1: And that actually ties into something I want to bring up about this is, okay, you've got the guy who has 10,000 lying around that he can summon Amanda Palmer into his living room for a concert. And that's great. And that's fine. But you've also got the average Joe who's got maybe $10 of disposable income. But he says, you know what? I want to spend that $10, that's the only spare money I've got, but I want to spend it on Amanda Palmer, for example. And as a result, he's going to be that much more invested in Amanda Palmer's product because he is however small of a portion. He is a part owner, so to speak, of that. He's contributed. He's helped make it happen, however small an amount. And by increasing his own emotional investment, People like Palmer, the artists who are creating this, are reaping the benefits of giving an even more devoted niche fan base. It feeds in upon itself. It's brilliant. Yeah,
2: the fact that my name is going to show up in the Dungeon World uh, Hardbound Edition printed book, my name is going to show up Mm -hmm. in that book. That's one of the reasons why I backed it, right?
0: Well, I backed it because I just thought it looked really cool. But yeah, I'm not going to deny that having my name listed isn't going to be kind of cool. You know. Yeah, and
2: I was willing to—I was willing to pony up the the extra money to get my name bound to the mm. book. Right? It's not just a thanks to right. blah. Right? I'm bound Very to the nice. book.
1: Yeah, and there's a Kickstarter coming out actually that uh, for one of my old favorite video games, Defense Grid: The Awakening. They're now doing a sequel, Defense Grid Two. Kickstarter's just recently been announced. And they have a similar thing where if you contribute like it's, I think, 50 bucks, you get your name in the credits of the game. You can say...
2: Which I was going to... Which you'd pay for the the movie. You'd pay for the... You'd pay that for the game anyway. Well, actually, right? the game's only 15
1: bucks. But 50, you're getting all sorts of extras. You get your name in it. You get the... There's like a little USB drive you can get. Actually, I think that's 100. But still, I mean, they really want you to get invested. And in having your name, again, in there is one of the most direct ways. You can point to that and say, I did that. Right. At least in part. Yep. And that means
2: a lot. Uh, I... I was a patron. And if you, if you don't think that one of the reasons that rich people acted as patrons to artists was because they would show up in perpetuity and in history with their name in there. Absolutely. You weren't paying, you aren't paying attention to history, right? The, everyone, everyone has hubris. It's just a question of how much.
0: And whether you can afford to express it. Yes, exactly. And, and now everyone can. Yeah. Which brings me to why I hate um, crowdfunding as a name for this stuff. Um, I think it obscures what you're doing uh, when you say crowdfunding, it doesn't really give an idea of I mean, it tells you, yes, many people are going to pay for this thing, but it doesn't really connect you with the tradition of what you're doing with the revolution of what you're doing at the same time. I think collective funding is a better term. It's not as media friendly, but it puts our collective patronage rather, um, but it puts it right out there. That you are in fact now a patron. That you are taking responsibility for and possession of the arts, which is something that we don't get as common people. And yeah. and yeah. words like crowdfunding and crowdsourcing, they just don't really, they don't do it for me. Well,
2: the... I also think that I also think that they distance your they distance. The audience from the product. My, I was going to say and I, that exactly. Yes. I, yeah, I hate I hate using that word, right? Product. It it makes it terrible. Okay, so it distance it distances the contributor to the artist from the artist, right? And the whole idea behind Kickstarter and Indiegogo is that they're not crowdfunding or crowdsourcing. They're allowing artists to connect with their audiences.
1: And the other thing about that is that the way they use the word crowdfunding, it makes It, it takes away your identity as a patron. It's just the shapeless blob of people over here who all hold up a $20 bill. It's no longer I, Isaac Share, am a patron of this thing that I love. And so is everybody else. You become a crowd and that's not as personal. Right.
2: And I think that the, 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 the projects and the, the artists that are successful are the ones that acknowledge that their audience are People and that their 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 most valuable uh, contribution is their connection to the artist. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and also cash, but. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it does all come down to the green stuff. Well,
2: I so I'm, 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 I made a joke based on a tweet that I saw earlier, and I can't remember that to attribute it correctly. But I made a joke that I might as well just add uh, funding kickstarters as as a, an, a line item in my budget from now on, <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: I, I know you, that feeling. It's
1: so tempting. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Now, the thing is, is that we could probably go on for hours about this as to why we love collective patronage and why it's important. But for now, we should wrap this up. Before we do anything else, though, let's at least take a moment to just mention something interesting that we're reading, we're watching, or we're playing this we give people an idea of where we're at. For my part, I finally had a chance to read Red Shirts by John Scalzi, uh, which you two have recommended to me. And I have to tell you guys, I was charmed from page one of this masterful book. It's This is going to be one of my top five books of all time, I think. And in addition to that, I'm also going to say I've been going back and watching old episodes of Archer on Netflix. And for people listening to this, if you have not watched this show, it's about spies. And that's a simple way to put it, but that's kind of... Anyway... I have to tell you that this is the funniest and the foulest thing on television. Archer takes absolutely no prisoners, makes no apologies, and is all the more glorious for it. And that's my contribution this week. Kurt, how about you?
0: Um, I I also love Archer, but I'm not watching it right. I'm not watching it right now. Uh, reading. I'm reading the Luck in the Shadows series by Lynn, uh, Lynn Flewelling. Um and mm-hmm. it's basically. Classic medieval fantasy with bisexual um, protagonists. That That's uh, a male-male couple are the are the protagonists. And then watching, it seems to be Bisexual Week, because I'm, I'm also watching a Canadian series called Lost Girl, which is about a young bisexual woman who discovers that she's one of the fae and has to work through fairy politics.
2: For, for those of you uh, listening at home, my eyebrows are now gone up. Yeah.
0: They're... I confess, I'm curious. I, I'd kind of want to see this it's now myself. Good. It's it's sort of like Buffy, if Buffy had a sex life that was not adolescent. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ouch. Ouch! I like it. I like it. So I it. Uh, just finished. Well, okay, yeah, I, I burned through, I should say, uh, the Apocalypse Codex, which is a book by Charles Stross. It's the latest in the Laundry novels, which is his, um, uh, his uh. Sort of urban fantasy meets Cthulhu meets uh math is magic. Uh, uh, each novel in the series is a pastiche on an old spy novel. Uh I have oh not my. yet figured out who the inspiration for the rip off I mean for the pastiche is for the Apocalypse Codex, but it's uh but <laughs> like um uh yeah, so yeah, all of his all of his previous books have been have been that sort of that sort of uh that sort of take on on old British spy novels. Sorry, just, uh, sort of updated for for new British readers. So the title that
1: comes to my mind is the Shogoth that came in from the cold, or something like that. It's
2: it's it's very close to really. That. I mean, very
1: <laughs> close to that. Okay, now uh, I gotta go look this up. Okay.
2: Yeah. So it, yeah, the overarching concept is the idea of Case Nightmare Green. Which is when the stars become right, the walls of the world thin, and the end of the world, the end of the universe as we know it happens. Ooh.
0: Nice. Fun. Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> um, before we completely finish up also, I do want to give a quick shout out to a friend of ours on Google+. Uh, her name is Monica Specka. And she's recently been selected to help represent a new role-playing game product called Genesis, G E N E S Y S, which is going to be published by Fable Streams and Threefold Media. And what they're doing with this—this this is something I think really needs to be given more uh, exposure. They're trying to reach out to female gamers specifically with this product, and. To that end, they've hired nine experienced female gamers, like Monica, to take on the roles of the quote-unquote Nine Fates, which is part of their game's lore. And what I love about this is that it's the exact opposite of the booth babe concept, which makes me ill to my very core. So, instead of trying to attract horny gamer boys to their game by having scantily dressed women stand around and just being vapid, hi, buy it, they want to attract thoughtful and interested women and men by having these women acting as the nine fates and acting as knowledgeable ambassadors for their game. They're going to be going to Gen Con and other big shows to help promote this and not just by standing around. They're going to be running events and monica in particular was chosen to be the quote-unquote fate of perfection and i know she's really excited about this project so i wanted to just take a moment to show our support for her and this game it's a multi-genre concept what i've read about it sounds really fascinating so i really recommend people go out and give a listen to it that sounds fun it does it really does and again just the idea of Bringing in more women into the hobby and specifically reaching out to them is something that I think the industry is not doing enough of. So I want to celebrate that whenever it happens. Oh, yeah. Yes. So now that we're wrapping things up for real this time, if you'd like to offer thoughts or opinions on what we've said tonight, or if you have a question that you want us to answer, you can leave us a voicemail. <coughs> My apologies. Um, you can also email us I'll get the voicemail number for you in just a moment I can't believe I didn't have that handy my apologies there we're not ready
2: <laughs> <laughs> quick quick Kurt Phil Phil for 10 seconds <laughs>
0: uh, okay I blanked I'm, I'm doomed <laughs> I'm terrible
1: <laughs> no worries it's
2: 7755 save versus that's s-a-v-e-v-s Thank you. Sorry about that. That's okay.
1: Okay. Uh, but however, if you're going to be emailing us, you can do that at save stupid at gmail.com. That's S-A-V-E-V-S stupid at gmail. And our website is savevsstupid.com spelled the same as email. And we can also be found at threatormenace.com where we post essays and reviews on these and other subjects. We'd like to thank Dave Chartier who's assisted us with our web hosting and also give a nice shout-out to our friends at Sauce, which is a video games podcast that Jerome contributes to, and they can be found at s4uc3d.com. We'll be back next week with another episode. So, from all of us here at Save vs. Stupid...
2: I'm Jerome Como. Thank you for listening.
1: I'm
0: Kurt Thompson. Thanks for listening.
1: And I'm Isaac Scherer. Thanks for joining us. And be excellent.